0: Welcome to Growth for Good, the show about amplifying impact for nonprofits, charities, and social purpose businesses. I'm Daniel Francovilla, a marketing advisor and brand strategist, and your host. On this show, I interview leaders at nonprofits and social enterprises, and the organizations that support them. We discuss the wins, challenges, and best practices when it comes to communications, marketing, fundraising, and impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Okay, well, welcome, Kavita, to Growth for Good. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. So I want to get started with talking a little bit about your role at ONN. What is the Ontario Nonprofit Network, firstly, in a quick pitch?
1: Sure. Uh, So we're an independent network for the 58,000 nonprofits in Ontario. And so we focus on policy work, advocacy, and services to help the sector thrive.
0: Amazing. And does that include charities as well as nonprofits? Or yeah. Is it, okay.
1: Yeah. So when we say nonprofits, it's an all encompassing term yep, yep. Uh, nonprofits and charities.
0: Yes. Amazing. Yeah. With the show, um, you know, for people who have watched other episodes, we often switch between nonprofit, charity, and then just the word organization because right. there are so many different uh, types mm. now, including, you know, even social purpose businesses yes. and social enterprises and um, associations. So it all kind of ties together. Um, with ONN referring to all nonprofits and charities, in and of province. course,
1: it's a very diverse sector. And I think sometimes folks who are not in the sector don't realize that they are actually interacting with or right. getting services from a nonprofit uh, because the diversity, you know, across subsectors is, is so large.
0: Amazing. And so you're the communications and development manager right now at yes. ONN. Can you kind of explain? Uh, what that entails, both end-grouping communications with uh, development?
1: Sure. Uh, so, talking about the link between communications and development, so development also referred to as fundraising, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, the organization that you work with. I I look at them as similar roles with a different end goal. So, on the communication side of house, you're really trying to inform and inspire And raise awareness, whereas, you know, with fundraising, the end goal, you want conversion, you want a donation, or you want um, someone to take an action, and that action doesn't always have to be tied to a financial ask, it can be sign this petition... Uh, you know, write a letter to an MPP, which is sort of more the style that ONN would do is that call to action, read this report, you Mm -hmm. know, share your pre-budget submission, which is what we're doing right now. Mm. Uh, So I think, you know, we're we're both trying to engage our audiences to take an action. And uh, we go about it perhaps in similar ways, you know, a lot of storytelling, but and in different ways as well. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's 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 interesting with, um, you know, being part of your organization. You're almost the B2B organization in the sense that your marketing and communications are tied towards other nonprofits or Mm -hmm. other other bodies, uh, players in the sector. Right. So I think that that's kind of. Uh, it's an important point to note because it's a different style of communication. Different tactics are used um, throughout in your role.
1: Absolutely. We're often talking to the sector. Right. We're not often talking to the general public.
0: Right. Amazing. Um, so how did you end up in the nonprofit sector and in, in your current role in communications?
1: Do you want the long version? or?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd love um, to know your journey.
1: Sure. So uh, in my fourth year undergrad, I. Uh, I was introduced to a few nonprofits, uh, to charities like uh, War Child and Oxfam and Human Rights Watch, and I ended up being a volunteer for Human Rights Watch, their Human Rights Watch Canada's uh, film festival, mm. and I really fell in love with the work that they were doing, and I was young and had energy and wanted to change the world, and that felt like Felt like the right sector to do that in. Um, At the time, I was on the path to becoming a lawyer.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay.
1: And all of a sudden, that didn't feel like the right path. So uh, after I graduated with an undergrad degree, it's sort of hard to get your first opportunity. (laughs) So I took what I could get, uh, which was in the corporate sector. And I knew right away that was not (laughs) the right fit for me. So I went to school part time and did fundraising management um, at now TMU, and yeah, my first uh, sort of role in the sector was at Ontario Nature, and I developed a love for turtles there. <laughs> wow. uh, but uh, it wasn't long before I realized that I was perhaps better at and more interested in the communications side as opposed to the fundraising side of of things, and. Yeah, it's been about a decade, probably more, uh, since then. And and my roles have varied uh, in the sector, but they've all included communications. And in the last few years, the focus has been uh, a little more on digital engagement.
0: Got it. So coming into the role of communications, you were trained with the mindset of the nonprofit space when it comes to fundraising, which is great. There's a lot of uh, people, even some on the show, that went into a traditional uh, background or of branding and marketing for mm-hmm. the business world, and then brought that to nonprofit. So yeah, it's it's always great to hear about the different paths that professionals for take sure. in our space. Um, so obviously, being here at a nonprofit organization, and you know, you work and serve nonprofits uh, through ONN as well. You're you've been a volunteer and an activist yourself. Uh, tell us about some of the causes or issues that you're personally uh, passionate about.
1: Sure. Uh- So, I'll cheat here um, and use (laughs) an umbrella term called social justice (laughs) uh, because it's hard for me to sort of pick one small thing. Uh, I think, you know, advancing social justice sort of for me includes, you know, climate, it includes, you know, access to decent work for all workers. Um, I want everyone to feel safe uh, at work and at home, and I want barriers to opportunity and joy to be removed from people based on their identities, and I think that sort of utopian world uh, doesn't exist unless we uh, fight systems of oppression, and I think there's a lot of work to do. We've definitely come a long way. We've made strides, but uh, I think... You know, what upsets me the most is that those strides can be taken away based on political whim, and I don't think, you know, people's access to justice and opportunity and um, in their lives should be impacted by who's in power, but in order for that not to be the reality, we would need a whole new way to organize <laughs> our society. So, um, but I'm for it. Uh, I think, you know, let's try something different. This isn't working for everyone, so.
0: Got it. Yeah. And so you, I guess, have the opportunity to to serve or work with a lot of organizations that are filling gaps, you mm-hmm, can say, right, mm-hmm. that, that are not currently being addressed. So, um, But that, that is the reality, is this kind of, we live in a very cyclical world where projects and funding is announced and taken away and promised and moved around and reallocated. And even when something's committed, it doesn't always turn out the way that it was intended. So, uh, it it is a constant, you know, evolution and, and it's great though. I think for you and your role, you get to see so many organizations taking action, tens of thousands of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I
1: think, and during COVID, especially, you know, cringe word now, but it was unprecedented at the time (laughs) Uh, But we really saw this sector be so innovative and, you know, do what they needed to do to serve their communities. And I think that's not appreciated as Mm. much as it should be. And um, we're very resilient. We're you know, find ways to work around um, the barriers that are thrown at us, which are a lot of them. And, yeah, funding is always an issue, Uh, (laughs) and, you know, it's not as fulsome. But from ONN's perspective, we're trying for that policy change, you know, so to create a policy environment that makes it easier, that enables nonprofits to do the work that they want to do, that they need to do.
0: And more importantly, that that work that that can be sustainable yes. because, you know, as you're very much aware, funding cycles change and grant availability changes and things mm-hmm. like that. So uh, on the first season of the show, we had Rohit from Do Good Fundraising, uh, who specifically focused on grant writing and, and right. applications. And, you know, during the pandemic, as you mentioned, there was a, a massive shift in what funding became available. Right. So we had, you know, thousands of organizations trying to pivot and adapt their own operations, mm-hmm. and then adjust how they ha- they can serve differently based on what different funding <laughs> became available. So I think there's there's a lot of uh, pivoting and adapting. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned kind of the idea of resilience in yeah. the sector. So so that's that's a huge part. I think it's it's it just comes with being in the sector, right? Is that resilience? yeah?
1: I mean, for better or for worse, <laughs> uh, we adapt well and we pivot well, and it's. Uh, Especially during COVID, there was a lot of, okay, well, let's pivot to this, then let's (laughs) pivot to that, uh, because this is what's going on, and um, it didn't allow for long-term planning because we didn't know what the next few months held, Um, so now as we sort of go back to planning longer term, Mm -hmm. I think there's, uh, you know, COVID has changed some things for the better, uh, but other things not so much. So, you know, we have to do our work accordingly in the in the new context with the new realities that exist.
0: Absolutely. So if we take a kind of bigger picture um, view and look at the whole idea of mobilizing people and kind of using, uh, you know, communications and digital platforms to do that, uh, what's kind of been your uh, experience there? and And what can you share about that?
1: Um, I will share that sometimes it feels like you're screaming into the void and (laughs) no one cares, but that's okay. I feel like that comes as part of, it's part of the territory. Um, I think, you know, where you build your community is um, where you'll see the most success. However you define success, in my personal life, uh, it was very humble to me. It was if one person thought of something differently, or, or if I got, you know, reached one person with new information about whether it was human trafficking or you know child marriage or whatever it was that I was raising awareness about. Uh, my goals were different. But when you work at an organization, whether it's a charity or nonprofit, you know those the the bar is a little bit higher. <laughs> uh, and but I think there's you know, obviously social media has become a crowded space. But again, you have to think about what your value proposition is Mm -hmm. and why should anybody follow you? What are you saying that's interesting or different than what other people are not saying? Um, And what are you bringing to the table? So I think, and I think there's value in, being a space where other information is curated. There probably isn't anything that you're saying that isn't already on the internet. But if you're a one-stop shop for, and that's what we're trying to be for nonprofits, right? Is all the policy information that you want, need, you know, come to us, we'll provide it. Uh, So there there is value in curating what's on the internet Mm -hmm. into one place. But also figuring out what's your message, what does it, you know, do for people? Why, why as an organization should someone follow you? But then why as a person should I follow you? Uh, and I think you know, every platform has something different to offer. It offers different opportunities to communicate different aspects of your work and. Mm-hmm. You know what I've learned over the years, um, with charities that do lots of different work, lots of different projects, lots of um, it's it's hard for them to distill down because it's like, well, wait, what do you do? Oh, you work on this and this and that. <laughs> and that, you know, there has to be one tying thread. And although you want to be proud of the work that you do and the impact that you have, we're obsessed with communicating about impact. And so, You want to do that, but you also don't want to confuse your audience. And I think that's an important role that comms uh, plays is, well, what's the tying thread? What's connecting all of this together, right? How do we connect the dots for people in an easy way? That's the other thing is that people's attention span is perhaps not what it used to be, (laughs) uh, thanks to the internet. So in a quick way, like what's the key message? Without simplifying to the point where you're taking away the integrity of the work, but um, yeah,
0: that's a huge tip both both for you know activists themselves, as individuals and for organizations. I think that's I think that's a great thing to tie in. A lot of times um, the perspectives that you have is you know you're informed on the issue, you understand why it's so important, you're ready to live and breathe it. but you're not necessarily thinking about meeting people where they're at. Right. And and sometimes the extra passion and excitement and, and knowledge about a topic can get in the way from how you're simplifying that communication. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you've kind of given some examples of that too. You know, and that comes down to what platforms people are on, where yep. they're paying most attention mm-hmm. and what type of content are they looking for. For sure. It's not always about sharing a forty page report, nope. even though you know what's valuable in that report. It's it's really, I like that you mentioned the word distill, right? Distilling that down into um, digestible information that's mm-hmm. appropriate for the audience and appropriate yep. for the
1: platform. And it's what are the key messages, but also knowing your own audience is important, right? So ONN's audience are often policy folks. They will read longer things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They will read a long email. They will read a report, um, but... You know, it's what channel do we give that information to you on? And when we're sharing something longer on Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, how does that adapt? And I think, you know, I still see um, nonprofits, you know, sort of putting out the same message on all of their platforms uh, and not (laughs) optimizing to each platform, which I understand. It's a capacity. And it's sort of funny, you know, as you asked me, the link between communications and development Depending on the organization, it might be the same department or the same human. So, <laughs> uh, so sometimes there isn't a lot of separation, and right. so I understand that. But I think where there is capacity, you see, you'll see the fruits of your labor in terms of engagement if you really do pay attention to the channel. You know your own audience. I, I know that. Not everybody tracks their, you know, the spaghetti that they're throwing at the wall. Like, how did it perform? Do people like the spaghetti or not? Uh, But, and again, a lot of that comes down to capacity. But, you know, that there's value in knowing what's working for your audience. And even if what's working isn't what you actually want them to take away, it's how do you work with it? You know, how do you bring people into the fold with those messages and then, you know, push your own message. A lot of the times um, whether they're a nonprofit or a charity or organization, they fall into the trap of always talking about your own work. You're always just talking about yourself. Right. And that's boring to a follower, right? Like if we think about how many folks, you know, our own social media? Is that who you follow? Is somebody who keeps talking about themselves? Not really, <laughs> right? Um, there's value in showing the work that you're doing, but I think there's a happy balance. Um, you know, Kara mentioned in in her episode about being reactive and, you know, the value of being reactive to what's going on. You have to be relevant. Otherwise, mm-hmm. on social media, there's again, you're going to scream into the void and nobody's going to engage. Yeah. Uh, So how do you make the connection between what's going on, what's relevant for people in Ontario right now, and how do we jump into that conversation and say something that is meaningful and not just um, surface level?
0: Exactly. And when you look at the idea of, you know, this show is about amplifying impact, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at, You spoke about who your audience is, meeting them where they're at, but also what is that audience most likely to share with their Mm -hmm. followers as well? So, you know, when we talk about just talking about yourself, yes, a certain percentage of your content should do that because you are your own best advocate in that case. But um, a lot of it could be about highlighting the people that you're supporting and highlighting, Mm. providing tailored content to your stakeholders and to your audience with the intention of them being able to share that. Mm-hmm. And shareable
1: content, right? Exactly. It's a whole category. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so. It is. And
0: and you mentioned the idea earlier of kind of a curator, like being a mm-hmm. curator of all this knowledge and resources, which ON is, of course, but individual organizations and 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 brands and leaders Um, can be curators of what's happening with current events, what's happening in the sector, what's Mm. happening with their own communities that they serve. Because people follow you for various reasons. One of those is that they, of course, align with the cause and support Mm -hmm. the work you do. But they also have very, you know, people are very multidimensional, right?
1: Absolutely. looking at how you
0: can make those connections and curate for them, I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's a great point.
1: Yeah, and different things will interest different people, right? So... Uh, you know, at ONN, somebody might be really interested in our reimagining governance project, but then they're not as interested in our other policy work. So, you know, they may follow us because they like that one style (laughs) of content, but hopefully they would see parallels between our other work and sort of be more engaged. But I think social media can sometimes, those algorithms can be cruel, so... (laughs) You know, if people pass by your content a few times on Instagram, then they're not coming back, you know, because Instagram won't serve it up. So I think knowing that is important, knowing your channel and how it's going to serve up your content and, you know, knowing what Google likes and how people get to your website. You know, because people have misconceptions. I've often had folks within organizations be like, well, I'm on the homepage and I can't find it. It's (laughs) like, well that's not how most people are getting to this page yep. um and i it's too bad that you can't find it but <laughs> you know we're giving people the link to the page that's how they're going to get there or they're going to google the words and be served up that page uh yeah so i think you know navigation user experience certainly things to think about but there's lots of websites that need work in our <laughs> sector uh but Again, it all comes down to capacity and funding, and I know that not everybody, not all organizations have that. And especially frontline services, they, you know, they're serving community, and that's their number one priority. So mm-hmm. I understand um, why that's the case. I just hope for the better for them <laughs> when yeah. I get to websites uh, that look like they were made on Microsoft Word. Well, it's and
0: sometimes <laughs> exactly, and sometimes you know, like you may know that organization and the value they provide, but mm-hmm. for someone who's first arriving on the website, let's say they found them in a directory uh-huh. or someone referred them, they may not actually get to the the meat and the value of that. Yeah. Sometimes you may learn that their best resources come through newsletter, an email yeah. newsletter, which you may have no idea of what comes into that newsletter until you've been a subscriber. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of things that organizations can do to kind of tease that content, Absolutely. let people know, incentivize them to, to get on the list and also mm-hmm. make that content not only exclusive (laughs) to that one location. Mm -hmm. So I love that you mentioned websites because that's been, you know, I've been working with organizations for, you know, over a decade that are looking to have websites Mm -hmm. built. Sometimes they put all their eggs in that one basket. Sometimes their website is a complete afterthought. Right. I've had uh, clients, for example, in the past that have invested in like a video series or an annual report, but then it doesn't live somewhere where people can actually locate it, right? So to your point, you know, being searchable, making the content digestible Mm -hmm. and looking at what your audience is looking for. um, Ultimately it's just a better use of resources, right?
1: Oh, for sure. And again, it's like, if you can invest in it, you will see the fruits of that labor, right? right? If people can find your content more easily, if people can find, you know, your reports more easily then they will support you and they will champion your work because it's going to be useful for them. So Um, ONN recently we redid our website and you know it's like if people can find our publications easier it'll make it you know better for them and so how do you use your website as a tool it should be a tool that's you know amplifying and supporting your work so
0: yeah it's a tool and it's one tool it's one (laughs) of the many tools that
1: should be in your tool belt but yeah
0: Exactly. So I want to talk about, we we kind of touch on some of the challenges here, but Mm -hmm. what are, what are one or two challenges that you've experienced or you've kind of been part of at either this current organization or any other that you've worked in?
1: I mean, I think the, this sort of ongoing challenge will be ways to engage audiences, right? We know competition's high, Mm -hmm everybody's online all the time everybody's on their phone all the time you know you may be scrolling instagram all the time but how do you compete with cute animal videos or (laughs) you know viral dancing tiktoks you know how do you seep in and perhaps that's not your audience um yeah. And I think maybe your audience
0: isn't there. That's one good. Maybe point. Your audience
1: isn't watching dog videos, although I watch dog videos <laughs> all day long um, when I'm not working. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know figuring out new ways, keeping up with the platforms that are changing, how their algorithms are changing, how they want to serve up content to the users on the platforms. I think that's going to continue to be a challenge because they change all the time. Right. Like all the algorithms, you know, are often changing. And because the platform wants to serve up the user, the content that they like and that they want to engage most with. Right. So how do you become that? You know, how do you, even though you know, ONN's Instagram account has over a thousand followers? Our posts don't have a 1,000 likes. You're never going to reach everybody that follows you. Most of them are not active Mm -hmm. uh, very often. But, you know, so how do you, right now, if we're reaching, you know, 5% of our audience, how do you tick that up? Or how do you keep them? Like, keeping the audience that you have engaged, whatever percentage that is, is going to get harder. So, and it has gotten harder. So how do we strategize to, to keep them there mm-hmm. and how do we, again, throw the spaghetti at the wall but then see what sticks. And I think we have to, in communications, always keep thinking of new ideas and and bring back some old ideas that work. I, I think so much of what works on social is being authentic and not mm-hmm. being a brand. Be humans, you know? Like, show our one of our consistent um, top 10 pages is our staff page. People are curious about other people, so then show them the people, you know? Like, give them insight into your organization. I I mean, do it in a way that feels, um, you know, appropriate or whatever, but, yeah, there's often... Uh, our executive director, who, you know, doesn't have a lot of time, but, you know, I often encourage her. I was like, share your reflections. People want them. People want your learnings. People want your – you're in a position that's relatable to a lot of folks in the sector, and and your learnings are things that people can learn from, you know, and what are you thinking about and what are you reflecting on, and people will see similarities or they'll have ideas based on what you're sharing because you're a person when – onn oh, shares a blog it's different than when kathy shares a blog right so i think that i think that human touch is is important um even though we do policy work and you know policy work doesn't lend itself to fun visuals you <laughs> know so it's it's tough but how do you make that content how do you make your organization relatable and and social yep. uh you know i have tweeted out a picture of our dogs, you know, on National Dog Day or whatever, just, you know, to show the human side of the organization. Um, So, yeah, I think that's... I don't even know if I
0: answered your question. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, you you didn't not only answer talking about what the challenges are, but you, you gave very actionable tips, which is to show personality, show behind the scenes, highlight your team. Mm-hmm. And from, you know, the perspective of uh, you kind of mentioned maybe a leader or the executive mm-hmm. director, you know, using their own voice and using their personal platforms. Sure. I think that goes a really long way today because. You know, this whole trend of thought leadership is people are looking like who is the expert, who's someone who's a trusted source, even though as a leader, you may not consider yourself an expert because everyone's continuously learning Mm -hmm. and evolving. Um, You know, people that we we spoke about earlier offline, Paul Taylor, um, Rakesh, uh, who was a previous guest as well. He was an executive director who's now shifted to working in his own practice. Um, People that actually have those voices and those personal brands they will attract an audience that follows them from role to role to role. For sure. And that's super valuable, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just your current organization, but you're building uh, credibility and authority and mm-hmm. trust with the audience in general. Um, and it, and it, it helps to amplify your, your message ultimately, right? There is there is for benefit sure. to that.
1: Yeah, because there's a clear values alignment right. uh, with your work and what you personally stand for uh, and believe in. And I think part of what, makes them such, uh, you know, attractive leaders and people, you know, follow them and their work and respect them is because they say the things that so many want to say but <laughs> don't say, you know, right. because of fear of repercussion or, you know, funders or whatever it may be. So I think uh, there's value in in being Honest and, and taking that risk and saying the things that need to be said uh, and, then, and then figuring out, well, how do we change that? You know, it's, it's not enough to just, like, identify the problem, which our sector is great <laughs> at doing. There's lots of problems. Uh, but what's the solution? Or how do we work towards finding the solution? And how can we come together to make this better? Uh, I think, yeah.
0: And, adv- and advocacy, right? You're not just declaring yep. the problem, but you're advocating yep. for an issue or for a group mm-hmm. or for a community. I think there's power in that. Even if you don't have the answers, there's power in sharing this and, and people can align and relate mm-hmm. with that, which like you mentioned, values alignment is, if if that's the goal of all of your communications, then that's a success is people <laughs> aligning <agree>. with <laughs> <laughs> aligning with you on a values uh, level. For sure. Um, so that being said, in in the sector, we know with with nonprofits and charities of all kinds, it's important to showcase our impact, showcase our successes. What are some uh, wins that you've experienced either at ONN or with any of the organizations you've been a part of over the years that you'd like to share?
1: So I mean, from an ONN perspective, there's certainly policy wins. Uh, but since this is more uh, a (laughs) communications-related conversation, I'll sort of talk about comms-related wins. Um, You know, we uh, recently, as I mentioned, redid our website, and that sometimes takes organizations a really long time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, And we worked with an incredible team uh, to help us do that, and it feels like a win because... You know, people are finding our stuff a little bit easier. We're seeing the results in in the metrics. Um, Mm. And I know Google Analytics is changing, GA4 causing some stress, or people don't even know what it is, (laughs) and it will cause stress in the future. Uh, But I think, uh, yeah, that that felt like success because we were able to then better showcase the work that our policy team is doing. Right. by making it easier to find but also creating a user experience that made sense and, you know, we certainly had accessibility in mind with, you know, colors and font size and all that stuff uh, to be you know, AOTA compliant mm-hmm. and yeah, so that that certainly felt like, felt like success and our last survey report that launched, you know, it got some media coverage which again you know, media is sort of coveted uh still within the sector and which to me is a is a double edge uh (laughs) it's great because it helps get your message across to a broader audience um which is really important especially for organizations like onn because we're talking about the value of the sector we're talking about the size and the impact of the sector and you know how our sector impacts Everyone, like, touches everyone's lives right. in Ontario. And I, again, I think there's some misunderstandings of, of the impact of our sector and the size of our sector and how we are, you know, an economic contributor. I think it's, it's funny when I read uh, your question about passion, you know, for the sector. It's like, yeah. well, you know, there's over 840,000 people that work in the sector. Not everyone is actually in their role because they're passionate about a cause. We're an employer. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people work in the sector because it's a job uh, and it may be a good job. And they may feel good about the fact that they're working for a good cause, but they're not necessarily passionate about the cause. Uh, It was something, a bit of a hard lesson (laughs) I've learned (laughs) over the years, Uh, but and I think sometimes that passion is exploited, uh, you know, because you're passionate about the cause, you're willing to go above and beyond, and uh, you know, work-life balance becomes a non-existent thing. So
0: yeah, and actually, I'll I'll jump in and say that we've we've noticed a trend from multiple guests on the show who have talked about uh, you know the risk of burnout in yep. the sector specifically, and that could be one of those reasons. But that's one of those mm-hmm. one of the tips that a lot of yes. the guests have shared <laughs> is to. Focus on, you know, actually taking care of yourself because you can't do right. good work if you're not taking care of your own self as well. Mm-hmm. You can't make a positive impact as well. So
1: Right. I mean, and it's funny because we have been, right? Like so many folks, especially on the front lines, like if you work at a women's shelter... It's hard to be like, well, I need self-care in the face of someone you know who's who has immediate needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's important, but it I think inevitably it becomes hard to put yourself before the community that you serve and the folks that you serve. Uh, and I, I think that's, you know, certainly. Part of why burnout is is mm-hmm. happening and has always it's always been an issue in this sector, but um, I think that's where policy is important. You know, I'll plug sort of O and work again in terms of making sure all workers have access to decent work um, and that they are valued above and beyond the contributions that they make. You know, it's you're a human, you're a person first, you know, you have a life outside of your work and, uh, and that's important. And, and that your care and your mental health and your physical health and all of those things are, um, important to take care of. Love
0: that. One of the common (laughs) themes of, of growth for good so far, for sure. So um, we'll wrap up by talking about if there's uh, a source of inspiration mm. or, or resource, whether it's a book, a podcast, anything like that. Obviously, ONN is a massive resource, your website. You can definitely uh, mm-hmm. dive into that as well. But is there anything that you turn to to kind of keep inspired or informed?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, no shortage of PDFs to download on our website. <laughs> uh, it's funny, I um, used to joke about this at, uh, at my previous role is that I didn't, I didn't come into communications because I was passionate about communications. It's because I was passionate about the cause that I worked for and I just happened to be good at communications. So, you know, um, with our program staff, I used to joke about, I don't care about Instagram inherently. It's just that (laughs) I know what content will work there. Uh, So it's sort of um, funny. I don't look for inspiration in, you know, comms, marketing, like magazines. Of course, by virtue of my work, I need to keep up to date and I need to know what's going on. So... You know, I certainly, you know, get the HubSpot newsletter and Hootsuite Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those sort of websites that (laughs) give you other tools or reports or, you know, here's what the algorithms are doing today. But most of my inspiration comes from people like people move me. I'm inspired by people's stories. I um, use that not to forget why I came into the sector like why do I care about social justice? It's because of people, you know, and and making sure that I'm reading, um, reading or engaging with people from vast walks of life um, and understanding what their path has been, understanding what their sources of inspiration are, uh, and just not losing sight of the bigger picture. You know, I don't ever want to be in this sector and not care about the people Mm. in the sector or the people that the sector, you know, aims to serve because then I've lost, then I've lost my way. Uh, So yeah, Yeah. my inspiration certainly comes from people and their stories and there's a lot of amazing people doing really amazing work. Um, And, you know, one of the things, talk a lot about, leadership. But I think, you know, you don't have to be in a role of leadership or have a title, title that indicates leadership for you to be a leader, for you to be someone who inspires. And and for leaders in this sector, I will say that whether you think it's the case or not, people are looking up to you. Um, so act accordingly.
0: Amazing. Th- that last part right there is a perfect piece of advice for leaders of all kinds in the sector. So thank you so much, Kavita, for joining us on Growth for Good today.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth for Good. The show is presented by Daniel Duz and produced by Creator Club in Toronto. You can find notes, links, and more about my guests at danielduz.co, where you can also learn about ways we can collaborate feel free to connect with me anytime on LinkedIn or Twitter. If there is someone from the sector that you'd like to learn from or you'd like to be interviewed on the show, feel free to reach out to team at If you're considering creating a podcast or video series for your organization, connect with Creator Club at creatorclubstudios.com.